0: Hi, I'm Christine and I'm Alan we'd like to thank you for tuning in to our discussion this week
1: our hope is that we'll share some information that you will find helpful
0: so now we invite you to join us as we together
1: listen listen for for the the word
0: word. hi everybody and welcome to our podcast today we're finally heading back to Luke and we're in Luke 8 uh, verses 26 through 39 Um, And this is that wonderful um, um, story of the Gerasene demoniac that uh, I just think is so rich and so interesting. And I think a lot of people kind of stay away from it because it is a little hard to make sense of. So I think we can, I think, (laughs) I think Alan's going to help us. I'm giggling already. There's some, there's some fun mysteries that Alan's going to unpack for us here. (laughs) So go ahead, Uh, Alan.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, and the lectionary does return us to Luke today, and but our passage is unique in the lectionary cycle. Although it's found in all three synoptic gospels, this is the only time in the whole three-year cycle of readings that it is used as the gospel lesson in the Revised Common Lectionary. That
0: is interesting, isn't I, it? is not it? I mean, what I wonder why? It, I, it, it uh, makes me wonder know. if it's just because it is a complex passage or well, Matthew, they were scared of it or matthew's
1: version of it is really almost a bare summary it's right. like a bare bones summary it's really kind of surprising luke and yeah. mark are the ones who give it the most attention and mark gives it just as much attention as luke does and mm-hmm. why it, it doesn't appear anywhere that passage doesn't appear anywhere in the lectionary cycle, interesting in you mark know chapter one as you know, we always talk five, about I mean,
0: how, how Calvin is always synthesizing things, but it's one of the few times he actually spends a lot of time on the details in Mark. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, an interesting, in- interesting note. Yeah. Well, Just get us, set us up here with this. Yeah,
1: so Luke's Gospel introduces the story with, then they arrived at the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And arrived in the NRSV is surprisingly held over from the King James Version. And again, you may recall that the New Revised Standard Version is actually a revision of the King Mm -hmm. James. It is not an attempt at at a new translation, as was the Revised Standard Version, as was the American Standard Version, as was the Revised Version of 1881 so uh, the the greek verb is actually katapleo which means to sail down or Mm -hmm. to sail to shore and um you know i guess matthew and mark simply use versions of erkemi which Mm -hmm. may explain the king james and its literary descendants in the 20th century just saying that they arrived but it's really i would say they sailed to shore that's what that's what the word means but then right at the outset we have a problem because other than somewhere along the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, we have no idea where this event took place.
0: <laughs> That's interesting. So, I, I, I guess I've always just assumed it was. I never thought that much about it. Yeah. I, I, I just assumed it was this uh, for the where the garrison <laughs> Geri- lives.
1: Gerisi, Geri- you know, yeah, yeah. 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 Well. Unfortunately, the text of the Synoptic Gospels is badly conflicted in locating these event, this event. Matthew's Gospel says they arrived in the region of the Gadarenes, that's Matthew eight twenty eight, and in, in, in most current English translations, following the critical text of the New Testament and the witness of Codex Vaticanus, or B. Older English versions, like the Geneva Bible and the King James Version, have Gergesenes, because that's the reading of the Textus Receptus. And some modern translations have made the choice to follow the Textus Receptus as well, like the New King James Version. Eh, oh, interesting. Yeah, and there are others as well. Some ancient Latin, some ancient versions, Latin, Syriac, and Coptic, have Gerasenes in Matthew eight twenty eight. likely because that's the reading of Mark and Luke. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sinaiticus has known. Which is none of the above. It would be the Gazarenes. Mm-hmm. and that—that's just a miss. You know, most of it. Most people take it to be a misspelling of the Gadarenes. Mm-hmm. Mark and Luke say that they were in the region of the Gerasenes. In most English translations, again, following the critical New Testament text and Sinaiticus B and D in Mark five one and P seventy five and B in Luke eight twenty six. Um, in Luke eight twenty six, 26, Sinaiticus or Aleph has Gergesenes along with a few other manuscripts. But older English translations that follow the Textus Receptus, as well as some modern translations, have Gadarenes, because, again, that's the reading of the Textus Receptus. One manuscript of Mark has Gergestines, which is an obviously corrupt reading. There's no such place. (laughs) So the textual evidence points to Matthew identifying the place as the region of the Gadarenes, while Mark and Luke identified it as the region of the Gerasenes. The problem is that, as Origen observed in the early 3rd century... Gerasa, or modern Jerash in Jordan, is more than 30 miles from the Sea of Galilee. Mm. And Gadara, or modern Um Umkais in Jordan, is about five miles away. So for that reason, Origen prefers a place that tradition had identified as Gergesa, which is modern Kersey in the Golan Heights, okay. which was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. While it might make better geographical sense, it, it only occurs late in the textual tradition, mm. with the exception of Sinaiticus in Luke. But Sinaiticus has this event in three different places in three synoptic gospels. It's Gazera in Matthew, as probably a misspelling of Gadara, Gerasa in Mark, and Gergesa in Luke, mm-hmm. in one codex. It's got three wow. different places in, wow. in, 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 this, in this same account. So unfortunately, we're left with neither compelling textual evidence, if you include the various misspellings, there are actually five places mentioned in the original manuscripts, nor compelling historical evidence. And many New Testament scholars see the reference to Gadara in Matthew and Gerasa in Mark and Luke as referring to the territory under the control of these cities. Uh, again, it's impossible really to determine the precise location of the event, though. But I think we can say, you know, uh, the 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 Gerasene the, the, the demoniac in Luke—that's mm-hmm. what he's called. He's he's from the region of the Gerasenes.
0: Okay, okay. Well, what I guess what do we know about the Gerasenes?
1: Not much. I mean, Gerasa was one of the ten cities of the Decapolis. Mm-hmm. It was Gentile territory um you know other it was kind of a local administrative center for that region uh, like all of the ten cities were mm-hmm. um, and the real I think the real point here though of the of this passage is not that the precise location can be identified, but that Jesus is for the first and only time ministering in Gentile territory
0: and I'm gonna I'm gonna say something here I was just at hearing very high end preaching at a very high end preaching conference. And I heard that the pastor in that particular place referred to this as Jewish territory. No. So I think I, I, I really want to make this point of we have to be really, really careful that just because we don't know exactly where doesn't mean we can take it and attach it to being outside.
1: There was a time in you know, in in the days of the twelve tribes when that was Jewish territory, mm-hmm. but that, that had you know, from, from the Hellen, in the Hellenistic era this became Gentile okay. territory and it okay. was called the Decapolis right. because there were ten Greek cities that were that were founded and and, or that were that were established and and uh kind of controlled this whole territory
0: well and while his comment well his comments or his his sermon did not it didn't necessarily focus on that it did become one of the points he made about it Mm. later on well so it became supporting it became incorrect supporting evidence and i think we have to be really careful because then we Really, don't need scripture anymore. When well, start and to do that. and
1: if you miss the fact that this is Gentile territory, I think you miss one of the main points yeah, of this passage.
0: Well, and as I said, he tried to tried to shift it to claim it was Jewish territory. So, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, it caught me by surprise, um, and so I wanted I wanted Alan to really clarify this for us that we know this is Gentile territory. Well,
1: and I think we catch a, a hint of this in the fact that the the, the um, Luke uses the designation that it was opposite Galilee so it's not galilee in other words the right. idea implication is not gentile not not jewish territory okay and we'll see that there's much about this story that would preclude a typical Torah observant Jewish person from even being right,
0: there. Right. Right.
1: In fact, Jesus has so crossed the boundaries of the Jewish world that Joel Green, in his commentary on the Gospel of Luke, observes that no scribes or Pharisees are even present to monitor his behavior. And that's something that's an absence that's notable, I think, oh, because in all these, a lot of these other stories of where Jesus right. does these miracles, there's always some of the Jewish there's leaders. Some Pharisees are
0: there. there, going, "What are they doing? What's he doing? He's no." Good point. No
1: self-respecting scribe or Pharisee would even be caught mm. dead in this part of the world. Okay, okay, <laughs> because it was unclean. So Luke tells us then that as he stepped out on shore, a man from the city who had demons met him. And it's important to note, I think, that the man was from the city, Gerasa or Gadara. We don't really know what he's doing away from the city. Is hinted at by the fact that he had demons, mm-hmm. and we should note that it's plural. plural. Mm-hmm. And Luke proceeds to describe his situation. For a long time, he had not worn any clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs, in verse 27. And so the fact that he lived naked, which only Luke points out, and in the tombs emphasizes the extreme nature Mm -hmm. of what he had endured. More than that, the implication is that he was completely dislocated, from the human community Mm -hmm. he was completely cut off from human community entirely because of the effects of this possession on him Mm. yeah wow wow So, so now in contrast to mark's gospel which fully describes the man's condition first luke moves to the confrontation between him and jesus and so he tells us next when he saw jesus he cried out and fell down before him shouting what have you do to What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Now, in, in Matthew's gos- in Mark's gospel, the full description mm-hmm. of how badly this man suffered under the torment of the demons is laid out, and then you have the confrontation. Right. In Luke's gospel, you have just the introduction, and then you have the confrontation, and then you have the rest of, of the description. So well, it's a it's a little bit interesting narrative technique on Luke's part. Yeah, I think well, he wants to get to that confrontation.
0: I could. What what's obvious to me is they clearly, clearly know who Jesus is. I mean, right. Yeah, There's yeah, this, yeah. that, that this is not hidden, that, 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 um, Jesus is out there and Jesus is a threat.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. So, yeah. yeah. And you know, we, we, could take that the fact that he fell down before Jesus as implying a posture of submission, but I think it seems clear from, from what, what the man says that it is really, he's, he's really resisting Jesus. Um, we've seen the phrase, what do you have to do with me before mm-hmm. in Jesus' encounter with a possessed man in Mark's gospel. Literally, what to you, or what to us and to you here? T. Amen. Hey, mm-hmm. Kaisoi. Right. And as I mentioned, I think last year when we looked at this, um, it's a literal translation from a Hebrew phrase in the, in the Hebrew mm-hmm. Bible. Uh, and it's kind of an attempt to fend off a possible claim of authority. Mm-hmm. But I think we can construe the way the man identifies Jesus also as an attempt to deflect Jesus' power by calling his name, Jesus, son of the most high God, oh. you know, and mm-hmm. that's that's kind of the way, it's kind of interesting when you read some of the papyri, the magical papyri that, that, that record exorcists um, um, sort of their incantations, they would call out every name imaginable yep, yep. to try to gain power over, you know, this evil spirit. And, and so, you know, this, this full description of Jesus as the son of the most high God could be an attempt to gain power over Jesus by calling his name.
0: Oh yes. I can, I could see that. That's, yeah. uh, it's interesting. And yet, um, and yet, it also shows fear to me. As yes, well. indeed.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. I mean, he shows his true weakness in its in in the presence of Jesus by begging him, "Do not torment me." Mm-hmm. And this detail, in fact, is found in all three Gospels. And so, you know, Jesus, the, the man's coming up to Jesus here is not an act of reverence or submission; it is an act of resistance uh, uh-huh. and, and perhaps defensiveness. But really, he's he's resisting Jesus' mm-hmm. power.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 as we go through Calvin, he recognizes that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. So Luke's narrative is, as I mentioned, is somewhat out of sequence in his effort to bring the conflict between Jesus and the possessed man to the fore. So then Luke explains the reason for the confrontation after he recounts the confrontation. He says, For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And at this point, Luke continues the description of the man's conditions. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, and he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the wilds. And this is very similar to the description Mark gives, although there's significant variation in the narrative framework between Luke and Mark. And as I mentioned before, Matthew just gives a bare summary of the Mm encounter by uh, contrast. And I think we're meant to see that as a result of his possession, this man had been driven into the wilds, literally the wilderness Mm -hmm. places, or or Erimos, it's Eremos, which is the desert, which was viewed in some Jewish circles as a place beyond God's control. But I think this is not just a statement about where he was, that he was in the wilderness places. It was also a statement about his condition, that he was far beyond the reach of any human community because of just yeah yeah, all yeah, the yeah. torment that he endured
0: yeah yeah and, and that this this idea of this wilderness concept actually makes its way into into the medieval period as well mm. i mean yeah. as their place
1: to be feared a,
0: a, a really a place to be feared yeah. absolutely so yeah. this um clearly is something that is is part of the kind of the human experience mm-hmm. um and and it's very similar description so yeah yeah, yeah.
1: So Luke then continues the encounter between Jesus and the man. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? He said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And I think we're meant to understand here that Jesus takes control of the confrontation. Mm -hmm. We see that Jesus' power and authority, even over the demonic, is not confined to Jewish territory, but extends to Gentile territory as well, which may have been considered by some Mm -hmm. under the power of another deity. Now, when Jesus asks for his name, then the man is compelled to answer, legion. And again, the fact that Jesus has taken control of the confrontation is implied by the fact that only Luke tells us that they begged him not to order them to go back Back. into the abyss. Yeah. Yeah. And and in you know this this term abyss may not be familiar to a lot of people, but in intertestamental Jewish literature, the abyss was the place of punishment reserved for the demons, and it appears in the Greek New Testament, primarily mm-hmm. in Revelation. It's the place from which sort of the demons are unleashed upon humanity, and it's the place to which the devil and the demons are confined at the end.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. I I, I want to go back to the. Legion, giving the name, and Jesus asking the question of what is your name, because this naming thing is interesting, because he's recognizing Jesus, giving Jesus a name, Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering, is that significant, this naming?
1: Well, I think so, I mean, because again, you know, we have this, you have this implication in that day that if if you know someone's name, you know, you have control over them to some extent, and so um while while the demoniac tries to use Jesus' name to fend off his power, mm-hmm. uh Jesus just simply asks, and when Jesus asks, you know the man has to answer right legion right, and right. so it, I think again, it's a sign that that Jesus has taken control of the confrontation, and jesus' mm-hmm. power mm-hmm. is is definitely yeah, yeah yeah mastering that of of the of the legion it's
0: it's it's, it's very. It's called that. That situation's calling to me. It's uh, mm-hmm. and and so I'm finding that really, really interesting. Okay, sure. so what is
1: Legion? Well, you know, obviously we think of Legion as as a reference to the Roman legions because the, a legion was about five thousand troops. But here it's just simply the presence of so there were so many unclean spirits in this man that he's named Legion. And again, that's a significant indicator that Jesus is in Gentile mm-hmm. territory. You know, the emphasis being that they were in the presence of what would have been considered unclean by Torah-observant Jewish people. So the right. fact that there were so many demons in this man is an indicator that that they're in Gentile territory. But Luke goes on to emphasize that, you know, this sort of the, the uncleanness of this territory by indicating that there was a large herd of pigs being tended mm-hmm. nearby in verse 32. And so Luke continues by relating that the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Mm -hmm. And as a result, the destructive power of the legion was transferred to the herd of pigs, and they destroyed themselves by stampeding down the steep bank, as it's called, into the lake and drowning themselves. And now this is where the whole place Issue comes to, comes into right, being, right? right? Because there's there's no steep bank near Gerasa or Gadara. There's you know the only place where it could possibly be is this traditional location of Gergesa, or mm-hmm. um, modern, right, day, right. Um, Kersi, modern day Kersey, modern day Curcy. But that's a traditional uh, that's a traditional identification based on. An effort to try to resolve the problem of mm-hmm. the text of the, the original text of the Gospels.
0: You know, again, I'm wondering if here is this is a story that's just gotten shifted some because of the oral tradition first as it came to them, and really so hard it's, to say. You know, and and that's this particular, you know, what
1: one of the things I've pointed out before is that is that the gospel writers seem to have a very um, keen interest in preserving the words of Jesus, right, and and the words that were spoken to Jesus, and e- even at times. But but the narrative framework is there. Ha- there's mm-hmm. a lot of latitude between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right, when they're com- when they're recounting similar stories. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, just in that latitude, you know, perhaps the original place got lost, or right. perhaps the original was, um, Gerasa in Ma- Mark and Luke, and Gadara in Matthew, and you know. Because of the tradition that was already there by the early third century, that Origen was aware right. of, uh, that Gergesa was the location of this miracle. Mm-hmm. That um, that um, you know the later later scribes changed it to Gergesa in the, the the region of the Gergesenes right, in the manuscript I could see tradition. That. Mm-hmm, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. It very. Wouldn't it be fun to be the fly on the wall that has <laughs> right. watched in this, the room
1: where it happened? In the yeah.
0: room where it yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. All right. So move on. This. How, why is this important, if you will? I mean, what happens now?
1: Well, you know, one of the things I, I, I'd like to mention here, too, before we move on, is that um, while we're told that the that the pigs drowned themselves in the lake, we're never told what happened to the demons after the pigs were drowned. Yeah, true. <laughs> and I think some people probably assume that the demons were destroyed, but, uh, you know, I, that's not specified right? yeah, in, yeah. in the worldview of that day. I'm not sure what the correct answer would be.
0: Hmm. Interesting, yeah. I mean we're going to talk about demonology a little bit in the middle ages, but it's really not part of our current age. Mm -hmm. We don't really live. Some people probably do, but, but most of us don't aren't in this space.
1: Well, and there's a reason why the gospels don't address this because that's not the point. Exactly. The point is not what happened to the demons. The point is what happened to the man.
0: Exactly. But someone's, Done
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: We didn't go there, but somebody has asked this question before. Somebody's <laughs> written something about it, and I'm I'm sure would, that's right. Yeah, I'm
1: sure that's right. So then Luke reports the results of Jesus' actions in connection with the response of the people of the region. Now, first, Luke tells us that when the swineherds told what happened in the city. And again, we don't know, is it Gerasa, is it Gadara? The people came to see what had happened, and when they did, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, Mm -hmm. and in his right mind. So it's important to note the details. Rather than being uncontrollable, as as he was described earlier, he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Rather than going around naked, as he was described earlier explicitly in Luke, he was clothed mm-hmm. rather than behaving in a frenzy. Again, as he was described earlier in Luke's gospel, he was in his right mind. Mm-hmm. So this one, this man who had been completely outside the bounds of all human community has now been restored to his own humanity mm-hmm. and thus restored to the ability to be able to re-enter human community. Mm-hmm. And that's important. And I think that it's important to note that Luke describes him as the one who had been possessed, but now had been healed. And here, as we've seen before in Mark's gospel, the verb is sozo, Mm -hmm. to save. And we've seen before that it has the dual meaning of healing and salvation in these settings. And so I think it's important to note that Luke's intent is not only to show that Jesus' power and authority extended to Gentile territory, but also to show that Jesus had brought salvation to Gentiles. And I think well. that's
0: one of the real keys there. And yeah. I think it's easy to kind of take this in a little bit lighter.
1: Well, you get all caught up in the whole demonic thing, and and you yeah. and you, and you, and you oh, run and with he, that, he and that's not of the, the point.
0: And, and this is this is a much deeper point. Yeah. And Calvin's going to start to kind of scratch this as, when we get into him. He he doesn't have quite a modern. Uh, sensibility about it, because he's still attracted to the demons, but he mm-hmm. he does start to offer some of these yeah. these types of analyses that are saying this is this is about salvation. This well, though, about yeah,
1: the real point is that this man who was so far tormented by this legion that he was beyond all human community. Right. He was, you know, right. he had he had gone into the wilds. He was naked. He was, you know, breaking, right. had, had superhuman strength to break any chains, you know, that tried to bind him. This man is now, you know, restored to his right. own humanity. Right. And, and he's not only healed, he's also he's saved. saved. And, yeah.
0: But that's... As you, as you point, it, that's the big thing because I think we think of oh, healing done, the people are gone. Mm-hmm. It, it it doesn't take that next step of saving the whole person. Mm-hmm. See what I mean? It's a mm-hmm. much bigger yeah. thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, how does the how do the people react?
1: Well, unfortunately, despite the wonderful thing that happened to this man, Luke tells us that the result of Jesus' foray into Gentile territory is that the people of the region rejected the salvation he offered them. Mm-hmm. Uh, The reason for this is that they became frightened, in verse 35, and Luke's gonna emphasize that again. Now, being afraid of Jesus is not an unusual response to Jesus and his ministry in the gospel tradition, but here it leads the people to reject Jesus. And Luke only tells us that the whole throng of people of the surrounding region of the Garrisons were involved in this request. So they asked him to leave, for they were seized with great fear. Again, you have that repetition. And Luke reports simply, so he got into the boat and returned. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And Matthew's done with the narrative now, but Luke is not. So, yeah, what happens yeah. now? L-
1: Luke is not yet finished with the story. Luke and Mark both have, have sort of the aftermath. Matthew doesn't include this part of the narrative, but both Mark and Luke include a further dialogue between this man who had been healed and saved mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Jesus. Luke says, The man from whom the demons had gone out begged that he might be with him. Yeah. Them, but Jesus sent him away. <laughs> yeah, and that one, that,
0: you know, that one can put people into a question mark i know Mm -hmm.
1: you know we've already seen that the man we've already seen the man sitting at the feet of jesus which is the posture of a disciple and so his request to be with jesus as the 12 work really comes as no surprise but it may seem surprising or even shocking that jesus sent him back to his own home especially in a gospel that as 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 uh, joel green says has documented the purpose of god to bring salvation in in all its fullness to all people Mm -hmm. I think perhaps there were practical obstacles here. So the fact that the man was a Gentile would have probably been an obstacle in mm-hmm. Jewish territory. And, you know, we, we see later in Luke's narrative toward the end of Acts that a riot emerges at the temple when the rumor not 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 the reality but a rumor went around that Paul had brought a gentile right. into the temple. Paul didn't actually bring a gentile. Right. right. But um the rumor went around that Paul had broke had brought a gentile into the temple and so this caused a riot. Right. I think probably there were some there were some practical obstacles like that in Jesus' right. day.
0: Right. Well, and there is something to say if this man can go back and be can be part of the community he was in. Right. He is really celebrating his salvation in a way and spreading it via his action. Now, that doesn't say that in the scripture, but I do think it brings an image.
1: In not so many words, maybe, but I mean, I think that's, that's, you know, that's really, you know, one of the main points of this passage is that this man who was so tormented by the ferocity and the destructive power of the demons who possessed him, he had been driven from all human community. He, he not only is restored to his humanity, but he receives the first commission to proclaim the gospel in Gentile territory. And the word that Luke is going to use for his preaching is russo, which is mm. the word that is used in the New Testament right. oftentimes for preaching the gospel.
0: Right. Hmm.
1: And um, so Jesus says to him, return to your home and declare how much God has done to you. And it's interesting to note here, I think, that Luke reports that the man went away proclaiming, that's Caruso, throughout the city Mm -hmm. how much Jesus had done for him. So the commission that Jesus gave him was to recount how much God had done for him. But it became translated into action in that the man proclaimed, and again, this is the verb Caruso, how much Jesus had done for him. Mm -hmm. So this is another major point here is that you know we have we have this man who has been healed and saved from his you know just yep. horrendous you know terrible condition I mean just imagine you know what this man had endured And he sent back to his own home to proclaim the gospel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think this passage is significant in several ways, despite all the problems surrounding it. First, it represents Jesus' first and only venture into Gentile Mm -hmm. territory. Second, Jesus' power and authority are just as potent in Gentile territory as they are in Jewish Mm -hmm. lands. Third, Jesus clearly extends the gift of salvation to this man who had been so tormented. And finally, this unnamed man. This unnamed man. Think of all the names in the Book of Acts. Right. This unnamed man becomes the first one commissioned, proclaimed, commissioned to proclaim the gospel of salvation through Jesus in Gentile territory, mm-hmm. namely the ten cities of the Decapolis, yeah, yeah. The east of the Jordan River. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So I hope. I mean, I I love this passage. I think it's cool. I think it's. I think it's interesting. I think it has a lot of meat to chew on. Um, in terms of of a uh, salvation and healing, and um, um, what it means to be uh, to spread the good news, and I just think it's cool. So um, I hope you all all got that out of it, out of it as well. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Christy.
1: Hi friends, we're back and we're moving into that uh, part of our broad podcast today that we might call the Protestants and Witches for, uh, ah! side of the story.
0: Yeah, there you go.
1: <laughs>
0: so what's, that's I, a,
1: that's an allusion to something that Christy's going to bring up later. Yeah, by the way. <laughs> yeah. This is a
0: fun. This is a kind of a fun topic actually in the in the in the Reformation period. I think in order to understand the story, um, we have to understand a little bit about the history of demonology. Um, And in the modern day, we don't spend that much time thinking about the demons like we've talked about, but it really was a part of... The Reformation era, and it really stemmed from the late medieval period that saw a rise in demonology, and there was a whole lore that emerged about demons and their work in the world during this period. Um, and we see some of this, of course, in the world of witchcraft, but we also see it in some of our ancient folk tales, or even in some of our superstitions. Right? You know, um, and so this idea then that 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 all the, the demons then are derived directly from Satan, emerges this time. Um, and I looked at the work by Jennifer Dean, um, who writes Medieval Heresy and Inquisition. Um, and here, um, um, and how she talks about this connection between magic and how medieval people used magic in their space. Um, and... And it, again, this idea of magic is, they're, they're in a world where they don't understand science. And so they're looking for, this is an age of alchemy where you, know, you can you can turn Rumpelstiltskin, you know, you can, <laughs> you can turn, turn wheat into gold. And so this is just kind of part of, of the world and not fully understanding it. But these superstitions... And the magic became increasingly associated with the devil. So while there's this kind of, um, um, it's important to note, according to Dean, the manifestation of a single all-powerful devil did not emerge in medieval lore until the 12th and 13th centuries.
1: Well, and you know, I think I've mentioned before that there's another scholar named Jeffrey Burton Russell who has written sort of a... um I think a four volumes on the emergence of the devil and Mm -hmm. both in the intertestamental times in the new Testament times in the early church and in medieval and the medieval church. And then in the modern Mm -hmm. times. And he, I think, I think he would have, he would say the same thing about the whole concept of a devil that it emerges in this late medieval, at uh, time, really, it comes the 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 ideas that we have about a devil and about demons. They don't really come together until exactly, like, like you said, yeah. twelfth or third century. 13th century. I don't think I don't think people understand. That they think that it's always been around because you have these you have these kind of references in the New Testament, and so they assume that that I whole full blown demonology must have been there.
0: Exactly, um, and what's important is. This the idea that all evil emanated from the devil also mm-hmm. came at this point, and so it it jumps on this kind of dualist vision of the world. Well, um, and again, I
1: think folks, you know, because that's the view that has sort of become the popular view, they just assume, and because there are references to the devil in the New Testament, they just assume that that whole full version of the devil is right. is is in the Bible.
0: What's important is it was part of the worldview of our reformers. Yeah and they were steeped in that in that fear and that 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 force of the devil that's coming from and so you see a little bit of inconsistency particularly with Calvin who's starting to push to kind of some new thoughts it's still there. It's mm-hmm. still. It's still fundamentally how the worldview has been shaped. Well, and I
1: think about Luther's, you know, hymn, "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God." My goodness, the the, you know, if you if you took that out of context and you said those things to a child, it would be positively oh, yeah. terrifying, know. you know. And and here's the guy who's the champion of justification by faith and through right? Grace, you right? Know? Exactly. And
0: but but Luther <laughs> in particular, who was kind of a Kind of a peasant family, I mean, uh, originating from, and so he's very steeped in this mm-hmm. tradition, and he absolutely writes it from this kind of dualist world. There's a yeah. Heiko Obermann, I think I've mentioned this before. Famous uh, Reformation scholar uh, wrote Luther between man and devil, mm-hmm. and uh, that th- that was totally his his, yeah. his worldview. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is that all magical practices then become, and and including, there's a big question mark, is it magic from the devil or is it power of God? Mm. Well, so then you get things like the magical transformation Mm -hmm. in the mass. Is it body and blood or is it bread and wine? Yeah, You know, and that that transformation that happens is that indeed magic. Well, our reformers who are going to start to reject this are going to say, well, no, so that activity must be the work of the devil. Really? Yes. Wow. And likewise, this whole idea of exorcism, which is done in the Roman Catholic Church, is going to be rejected by the Protestant reformers. But again, is that magic? Is that something of God, or is that really something that is mm. is magic? Is it from the devil? Wow. And so you get this great polarization with these things. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit more about the, how that plays out. But first, I want to talk about Calvin and he um, his response to the text. Um, and um, he uh, discusses the reality of the figures of demons. Um, the, he doesn't question their presence at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Calvin spends a good deal of time noting that the passages in Matthew, Mark, the same story as this one, which... Yes, makes and ex- sense. which makes sense yeah. and explains that the demoniac lived among the graves because he was kept there by an unclean spirit. Calvin believed that he did so to terrify him with the spectacle of death, that the demon kept him there to terrify him with the spectacle of death. Um, he notes that he is cut off from society um, as if already dead.
1: I will say that... that um you know, this is a this is a view that is that is um, promoted by New Testament scholars as well. That you know, the fact that he was cut off from all human community, it was his, and lived among the tombs. He's presented as if he's already dead. Mm-hmm. I didn't mention that in my segment, but I you know, I, I find it uh, that that Calvin is kind of ahead of his time a little yeah. bit in his understanding yeah. of this.
0: Yeah, it's really it's in, in he's in interesting space, mm-hmm. and it is also reminder that the devil can torment a person into death. Um, And the passage. This is all Calvin. The passage does show that Satan's kingdom is, uh, quote, subject to the authority of Christ, as the demoniac fell down before Christ, recognizing Christ's power. So, finding that is um, more of a more subjugating himself as Mm -hmm. opposed to how we were looking at it earlier. Right. Um, He emphasizes um, that um, um, that. that he will continue to be in torment if he continues to, to despise Christ. So there's definitely a, a, a in, in Calvin's thought, there's a, there's a, there's definitely this kind of modern idea that being in Christ, um, falling into God, Christ's grace is indeed what pulls you out of torment.
1: Well it sounds like mm-hmm. he attributes some agency to the man that he's not totally under under the control of the legion of, of demons, but rather he has some choice in how he's gonna to respond to the Well, to Jesus.
0: I think he does in general with 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 all of these people, that there is huh. this 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 presence because it's important for Calvin that um the sovereignty of God is is overarching and that the that the demons mm-hmm. do not have more power than God sure so that God's presence is there and can be accessed yeah and that's a really interesting space so it's not it he's he's in if you will kind of making sure we understand even if it's a dualistic world those demons do not have the power of God and so yeah. you're seeing that that emphasis on God's sovereignty there, which I think is sometimes lost with modern folks because sure. sometimes you, you get some oh, yeah. of the modern folks that, that are in a different space. They
1: seem to believe more in the power of the devil than they do believe yeah, in God exactly. or the power of demons. Yeah.
0: But I do think that while he does not go into the depths of theology here, um, he, he, he sees the determination to resist Christ, which is irresistible, yeah, uh, by the, by uh, the the demons gives some credence to his idea that some are damned. Mm. I think it fits <laughs> into his double predestination, and it's not. It really has more to do with choo- the choice, mm-hmm. right? Uh, what? So I
1: guess <laughs> even the demons had the choice whether to submit to Christ or to resist Him.
0: Yeah, I I, I think so. Yeah. Um, hmm. I don't think this, as I said, I, I don't think this is because they're foreordained to be damned as much as obstinacy to their free will to deny Christ. Hmm. Um, and he says that the reprobate are never wanting to give into their punishment, always pushing it away as if there is a remaining hope. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> and I think it, it gives more of that holdout of universal salvation, but that perhaps reality there will always be those who will continue to resist.
1: Yeah.
0: So what a i mean there's a lot of depth in that that he doesn't go into but it definitely is reflecting those deep ideas about it's um,
1: interesting that he relates this this man's um possession by, by this legion of demons and his interaction, the interaction between him and and Jesus to the idea of election and reprobation in his theology.
0: He does. And he doesn't go into a great detail about Mm -hmm. it, but it's definitely there. I mean, he actually... I'm not
1: sure I would, I'm not sure I would go there myself. Uh,
0: No, no, (laughs) I I don't either. But I think, um, in a traditional sense, somebody that had those issues, Mm -hmm would clearly be wouldn't that be someone who's damned and i think what he's saying is god god is bigger than that god is more powerful than god has control has agency over the devil that that salvation is at hand Mm -hmm. and i think there is that hope that everyone can have it even this most hopeless fellow right but some people still you know and this comes on later on right
1: still choose to resist yeah um this
0: it's it's Another aspect of this is Christ's protection is essential for humans to resist the devil. So you can't do this alone. This is total total depravity at its height. Mm. Um, um, So as as Calvin talks about, as the demons feared going to the abyss, um, they feared not being able to bloot people, as that is how they lived and thrived. And quote, as the devils have no other object than to prowl among men.
1: I think I might view it as total depravity at its worst, because I mean, all that does is lead to fear. Well, you know, that we are that we are we have to we have to somehow worry that there are demons out there that are going to afflict us.
0: Well, but no, no, because it's not all of it. I mean, because it's this idea um, that you are not living into fear, but that you are living into the hope of Christ. Oh, yeah. That that that, that is the the dominant space there. Okay. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And again, one could see it that way that's open calvin's problem from the beginning right um but but he's he's going to emphasize no because christ's grace is right there for you okay um
1: i i still have a little bit of a problem with with the whole notion that that somehow we have to we have to be worried that that we ha- that that if we don't avail ourselves enough of christ's grace that we might be subject to demons
0: that's my opinion why I think this still stays in its early modern context, right. why it's not why Calvin is indeed restricted and the, the, the the problems with trying to use Calvin as a modern scholar, which yeah. some people try to do and you can't, you have to, mm-hmm. because I agree. I think that's, I think that's one of the big problems with Calvin's thought yeah. right now. Yeah. So um, one of the things that Calvin also points out is that, And I think this is kind of attacking the Roman Catholic view. You really have to be looking at God as a father, not as a judge. Mm -hmm. And indeed, as God's grace instead of God's fear. Sure. So, yeah. So... With Calvin, we have a theological re-envisioning of God from God Jesus as a judge to, to a God of goodness. Um, the Gadarenes did see the power of God but viewed it from a perspective where they would never live in a God's grace and therefore would send Jesus away as soon as possible um, and as opposed to the God of love.
1: Well, and let me just note here that, that Calvin would say the Gadarenes because the, 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 the New Testament of his day would, would, would have that. Exactly. Right.
0: And so, quote, Power strikes men with terror, makes them fly for the presence of God, and drives them to a distance from him, but goodness draws them gently. Makes them feel that nothing is more desirable than to be united with God. Mm, mm. So now that's a
1: pretty that's a pretty powerful. It statement. is a
0: very powerful statement. And mm-hmm. again, you're talking about a vision of we can't even appeal to Jesus to save our for salvation. We have to appeal to saints right. because God is. Remember, this is an right. era where fear is. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'm not worthy to appeal to, to Christ right, directly right. for salvation.
0: So as I mentioned, even. Even with Calvin's commentary, we're seeing a challenge to the traditional view as God is judge and how the mindset that leads people away from God and into sin. Thus, while Calvin does not expressly use this as anti-Catholic polemic, he's definitely putting forth an evangelical reading of this text. Um, and it is important to note that he does not look at it as kind of of magic, but rather as a manifestation of God's grace. This is important. Because the Roman Catholics are going to use this passage and others like it to justify exorcism as a symbol of the true church. So you're going to get this very definite divide. Um, well,
1: and let me let me clarify when you said evangelical reading, I mean we might say oh. Protestant versus oh, Catholic. Yeah, I'm
0: sorry. I, I, I there I used a very uh, scholarly right. Reformation scholarly right. approach, which, which which I apologize. Th- in, yes, in, in
1: Reformation scholarship, that's a very appropriate term. But in most of our hearers' ears, right. evangelical has a different connotation. Right. Sorry yeah. about that. I no, understood what Protestant. you Protestant. Yeah, I yeah. understood what you meant. Yeah.
0: Uh, you know that friends, if you're reading, um. If if you're reading scholarly work from reformers, they're not going to talk about the Protestants. They're not going to talk about the Lutherans. They're going to talk about evangelicals in that space. So I apologize for that. No, that's okay. Um, It definitely is still part of the, uh, excuse me, the exorcisms are very much part of Roman Catholic doctrine um, and reflects the kind of power supposedly passed down by god
1: to, to the roman the, catholics right, the true to church the priests, to the true church <laughs> yeah. as they see
0: it ultimately the demons became associated with the people from the opposing camp <laughs> this is true for both roman catholics and for protestants and right. we see this in the iconography of the era so. really <laughs> yes so i turned to some secondary literature to give you an idea of this whole exorcism language used during the period um and I went to the work of Jonathan Pearl um, and a little piece he did, Demons and Politics in France, 1560 to 1630. And um, as I said, this idea of the demons were used used as weapons. Um, um, and this became particularly particularly political in France during the French French wars of religion. Now remember, France was Roman Catholic, but but that is where Calvin is from, mm-hmm. and many, many, many of the Reformed ideas come in, and a whole body of people known as the Huguenot, which are French 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 Calvinists, start to develop and spread, and really become a kind of a, a, a belief system of their own. And the French hate them. Right. The, the the French um, kings hate them, and.
1: Yeah, they were persecuted pretty Heavily brutally, persecuted
0: yeah. until the edict of not, but we're not there yet. <laughs> so in Roman Catholic tradition, they claimed um, that this ability to for- perform exorcisms what meant that they were the right faith. And Pearl tells us of the f- a famous Nicole Aubrey, and she is known as the Miracle of Lyon. Um, she was a Huguenot that had... Um, obviously, if you're Huguenot, you're possessed by demons. Right. And mind you, one of the French scholars, and I, I apologize, I didn't like 16th century scholars didn't write his name down. Actually, claimed that Judas, who obviously was controlled by a demon, was the first Calvinist.
1: <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs>
0: so there you go. Um, so that it prompted her to take to accept the true faith. And actually this exorcism happened and the demon left her and she became a good Roman Catholic right. follower. And so they saw that anybody that was opposed to the true faith, Protestants, witches, um, sectarians, uh, political enemies, they were all possessed by demons and they all needed to be saved. Now, how do you do this? You stage an exorcism, which is a big public <laughs> setting uh, where you know you have this this experience going on that people can watch and and attribute that this happened, and it, it's a big deal. Mm. Um, mm. And uh, it almost reminds me of the sightings of saints, or the sighting that we see today—the the, mur-
1: the mur- miraculous uh, events that. that yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, it's that same kind of thing because this is a miracle that they mm-hmm. can do. Um, mm-hmm. Now, demonology uh, fits into the political content, but flows into Roman Catholic theology of the immortality of the soul, where the demons would be responsible for awarding or punishing the soul after death.
1: And you know, I mean, I've 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 seen this kind of imagery, you know, and this mm-hmm. kind of assumption in 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 some imagery, and and yet I want to think, boy, that sure attributes a lot of power to these exactly. demons. Exactly,
0: <laughs> it is important because it's not just an an incorrect doctrine, but a real threat to someone's I salvation. Would agree, yeah, and therefore it is more important to save the soul than the body. And mm-hmm. so they had no qualms about killing those who are possessed by demons.
1: To save their souls. To save their souls. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. That should be scary.
1: <laughs> it is scary.
0: That should, you know. And after you look at Calvin, then, and, and you know, as 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 Alan's pointing, wow, that's he has kind of a fear-oriented approach. I think. Would you really compare it to what's going on in this tradition of exorcism and this 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 concern of people being possessed by demons? Equal. The devil that this is a, a much scarier situation sure. than all you have to do is um, fall into grace so well, and,
1: but the sad thing is uh, you know how many how many tens of thousands of people were executed with that premise that we' we're, we're killing you to save your soul
0: exactly uh, exactly <laughs> exactly Jeez. yeah yeah Man. what and and that became part of the justification for it and, mm-hmm. and I suppose provided people who were in charge of those things that they were doing, actually doing the right thing. Mm. Uh, how horrifying, f- I mean, how, how how screwy is that, right?
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's yeah, it's religion that is most toxic.
0: So I'm, I'm concluding with, I mean, it's important for us to understand that we have, that we see first the context of when this is written and how people use this during Jesus's time, how they understood right, it. Right. And then we need to understand how it evolves in the, kind of tradition of reading scripture into the this era of demonology that impacted medieval reading and the training of our protestant reformers and so we see that um and then i think we have to see move to this next step today is how does our current world view impact our reading of this today sure so that's where i'm leaving it
1: all right thanks christy
0: Hi, everybody. We're back. And in our break, Alan and I were talking about this passage. And, you know, I I like this passage a lot, but I think many people um, stay away from it. I think they're hesitant to use it um, because there's things that are that are tough in here. And I think one of those things is this whole demon space, which is not contemporary. It kind of takes people into worrying about, what will will my congregation hear? Will they hear demons and devil? And how do I work through that? I think another piece of it is the whole thing with the pigs is very unsettling. Why why are the demons sent into the pigs? And what does that mean? I think there's this sense of um, uh, desire to follow Jesus. And yet, He stays, ends up being told to stay behind. Can be a little bit awkward. Um, I think there's just a lot of spaces to work through it. So I've heard it done where people will take a little bit and then they'll kind of transform it into their own space, and so, um, and and maybe take it too far out of its context um, as a as a biblical um um, a biblical story, and then so it kind of kind of loses its um. It kind of loses its importance, you know. Um, so I think, I guess my question, Mark, I mean, what what is the heart of this? What is the heart of this? And, and how can people approach preaching this um, that really gets at uh, why it's in the Bible?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, Christy. Um, and I will say this isn't a passage I've preached on a lot, but I have preached on it and you know to me i want to go back to what i emphasized before i mean the two real points of this are that here's this man who was tormented beyond all measure so much so that he'd lost his own humanity he was cut off from all human community and he is restored he is made whole he is healed he is saved by jesus
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um, the other thing is that here is this man who is not named, you know, and boy, Luke sure throws out a lot of names in the book of Acts, right? Of people who carry on the Gentile mission. But here's this man who's not named, and he's the first one Jesus commissions to go into Gentile territory to proclaim the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so, to me, those are the two things really we can grab onto. Now, the first one. I think, I think one of the things, one of the challenges with things like miracles and exorcisms and things like that is because we, you're right, I mean, it's too easy to think that we want to, we might get caught up in the miracle itself or the exorcism mm-hmm. itself and miss the significance of it. And of course, behind this is the whole idea of Jesus' authority and power. But behind that is also the whole idea that Jesus is the one who brings the kingdom of God. So this is, you know, this is mm-hmm. Jesus' authority and power as given to him by God to inaugurate and enact mm-hmm. a kingdom among people. And so this is ultimately goes back to God's authority and power and his purpose of salvation, mm-hmm. as we as we talked about, that this is God's purpose for the world. And so, you know, the, the, the miracles and the exorcisms all function in the Gospels as pointers to the power of the kingdom to transform human lives. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and you know maybe maybe one of the reasons why we have lost a sense of the God's power to transform our lives today or the power of God's kingdom to transform God, our lives today is because we've ignored these passages like this. And, right, you know, we've right, sort of right. thrown the baby out with the bathwater in, a, in right. not wanting to deal with the miraculous and the exorcisms. Right. We've, we've lost the ability to talk about, right. you know, we don't, I don't think we have to endorse demon possession and exorcism to be able to talk about God's power right. to transform right. human life today. And that's a, that's a message that's right. sorely needed, I think.
0: I think so, too. And I actually think when you go there— and you can work through, I mean, when you can work, can work through this within the framework of this is how this is understood. I mean, I think you could, and maybe I'm wrong at this. I think you can look at it in today's thing, saying, okay, this is a person that they understood was possessed by demons. Mm-hmm. And we don't use that language today. So what's going on in this guy's world that he is completely separate? Because we all know, We've all seen the person who is so completely separated from society, they can't function within it. Right, and right. so that's something we can all identify with and pull that out instead of getting caught up in this. Lang- this yeah, they, they, might not, they might
1: not hang out in a literal tomb, but maybe their basement has become right, a tomb for them.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. And so then, then being able to say, now how does someone heal back into the context of a, so- yep. a society? Well, and a-, a
1: full and free human life.
0: And I also think there's an interesting commentary on these this community that rejects Jesus, yeah, kicks him out, right, right. right? I mean, here their persons healed, they see the healing, and yet they're terrified, and yet he goes back to them. Yes, like it's not, I know. it's not hopeless, right? That's well, unreli- it,
1: but I think that's huge because, you know, one of the reasons why they rejected Jesus is because they saw this guy, and mm-hmm. he was you know, sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. And that so freaked them out right. that they didn't want Jesus around. And here this unnamed guy has the courage to go out and proclaim mm-hmm. all that Jesus right. had done for him. Right? Proclaim the good news right. among the very people who had asked Jesus to leave their territory. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and, you know, it's interesting to think, could they have, could they have helped heal him? I, I think a part of the message is mm. probably not mm-hmm. um without without what Jesus represents, who Jesus Surely. is, is, is that, if you yeah, will, no, right? without the grace of God, without without the things that, that Jesus is, who is full of hope and peace and love, and having someone reach out in that, without that there, they were willing to allow this to go on mm-hmm. indefinitely. And
1: as I mean, long as he was off in the wilds, off in the wilderness places, in the tombs, they, they were willing to let him stay there and, mm-hmm. and, be, and let him stay where he was mm-hmm. and how he was.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a, mm-hmm. there's a lot of depth there. I think we can get rid of the whole, you don't have to go in and saying, oh, Jesus did exorcism, so oh, you're supposed to go do that. We're no, going to do that today. No, that no. is not who we are, but I think no. we get freaked out if we're looking in the wrong spaces.
1: Well, and the other thing is that this whole aspect of this guy being commissioned to go to a very difficult place and preach the gospel then becomes kind of a foreshadowing of the book of Acts because that's really Mm, what happens in the whole book of Acts. That's right, that's right. I mean, you see, (laughs) you just think about the story of Paul, you know, but Peter as well, you know. James, the brother of Jesus, is, is executed. Peter is put in jail. Paul is stoned and left for dead, among all the many other things. That he right. had happened to him, you know, and um, and yet these are the faithful witnesses to the gospel. They're the ones who who bring the good news, right. and the people whose hearts are willing to receive it. You know, their lives are changed by yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. wow. So again, we see, I mean, again, it's, you know, the thing, one of the things that really unites Luke and Acts is this whole concept of God's saving purpose to extend to all humankind. Mm-hmm. And, and you see just a foreshadowing of it here with this man going back into Gentile territory to proclaim the good news of what Jesus had done for right, him. Right. But then the full, the sort of the, the the fuller story is going to be told in the book of yes, Acts. Yes, And then of course, yeah. Acts, Acts has this whole theme about how the gospel spreads on him. Right. And 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 it ends very open ended, I think intentionally, because the whole the 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 implication of the way the book of Acts ends is that the story of the proclamation of the gospel continues.
0: Continues, yeah. And
1: it continues to our day.
0: Right, right. And and
1: you know, so hopefully we can see this as an opportunity to talk about the way you know god's salvation and god's love and god's grace can can transform human lives today and yeah. has the power to set people free
0: yeah wow yeah yeah and i think yeah now i feel like armed and ready to go mm-hmm. with that sermon yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah all right well thanks everybody thanks christy That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us.
0: It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ.
1: We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together listen listen for for the the word. word.